throughout our series, we've been talking about rest, and we've been using the passage of Jesus saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I wanted to put some qualifiers or some reminders, rather, on this, because It is the tendency of every single one of us to come to a service and to come to church and to be participating in a spiritual community and be hearing teachings and then walk out of a teaching or a sermon on rest feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not resting enough and I really have to rest and there's more burden upon your shoulder and oh, I'm not doing this right, I'm not doing this right. And so I wanted to remind us that rest is not another burden. What we've been talking about through this series and what we're going to talk about today is not another thing that you have to do. We talked about religious oppression. We've talked about religious ideas and teachings being yet another thing that you walk out the door and you feel a little bit more heavy burden. At the conference, actually, at SBL, the Society of Biblical Literature Conference that we were at, one of the teachers there talked about how sermons throughout American history have become more and more moralistic and more and more burdensome because there's this attitude that we have that you out there in the congregation are supposed to behave better. We in the clergy or as pastors or as teachers have the responsibility to make sure that you behave better. And so we give teachings that try to make you behave better. And the whole kind of endeavor, the whole endeavor is sometimes weightier and burden. And it is our hope through this teaching that we've had that that actually is lifted off your shoulders. That the weight and the burden of moralistic requirements or obligations becomes lighter. Not that morals are unimportant, mind you, but that we're approaching this from a, a completely different direction. That as you come to Jesus and take upon yourself his yoke, his interpretation, his understanding of the teachings, then that frees you, liberates you, brings you this breath of fresh air and a whole new life that you've never experienced before. We, we hope it's not just a discipline. We hope that you don't walk out of this place thinking, okay, here's another thing that I have to do. I have to schedule in more sleeping hours. I have to schedule in more rest time. I have to schedule in more of that discipline. We hope that that is not the reality for you. We hope that This series of rest, and especially what I'm going to share today, is a way of thinking and reconfiguring your entire life around the creation story that God spoke into chaos and created something that had order and meaning and purpose and direction. Remember from the very first teaching, and you missed it, I would encourage you to go back to it, that the yoke that Jesus is talking about, the yoke in rabbinical tradition is a rabbi's interpretation of the teachings. And so what Jesus is doing when he says, take my yoke upon you, is to say, think about religion, think about life, think about the way in which you live through the ways that I am interpreting it for you. Other people are going to interpret it, Sadducees, Pharisees, other groups, religious people are going to interpret it in moralistic terms, or they're going to interpret it in oppressive terms. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My interpretation, the way that I see the teachings, the way that I think about all of the laws and the commandments is lighter. And then remember the the word Noah is the word for rest. The word Noah is the word for rest. 
And it is such a beautiful picture and image that the name in the person in the story actually carries the definition and the meaning of what Noah is trying to do. And if you go back to that Genesis teaching, these, again, these are just reminders. Go back to that teaching. Noah's story comes when the entire world is filled with violence and chaos, and the entire created order is actually going backwards. Rather than going from chaos, it's going to chaos. And so God, through the story of Noah, brings about rest, which is a full and complete recreation of the entire created order. These are beautiful, beautiful teachings, beautiful, beautiful stories. So we hope it's not another burden, not another discipline. It's a way of thinking about your life, about God coming into your life, surrounding your life, about you bringing the Lord more and more into your life so that the entire movement of the created order starts to make its way in and through your entire life. That God will speak into your soul, into your heart, into the chaos that exists in all of us and begins to order it, put it in place, and give it purpose and meaning and direction. So that's what I hope we all take away from this rest series. Um, it is, again, a temptation for us to walk out and say, okay, I have to discipline myself more to rest. And I hope that you start to see the bigger, grander picture of what the scriptures are doing through that story and that your life begins to become more conformed to that story and that you get to be a very key player and character in that story. Today, we're going to talk about sleep. Psalm 127.2 says, In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat. Does that sound familiar? Anybody? No. See, this is what I love about the Bible and I love about these scriptures because you read stuff like this and go, oh, it's been saying this all along. Yes, when that alarm goes off and you have to hit snooze, 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 snooze. Oh, rising early so that I can put food on the table. And then, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Have you ever considered sleep a gift from the Lord? Have you ever considered sleep a gift? Um, this teaching actually comes out of some thinking that I've been doing for a little while. Uh, many of you know that I am also the spiritual life director at the King's Academy, and part of my job is to create chapels, speakers, events, etc. And for those of you who've grown up in a Christian school or maybe have gone to chapel before, you know that there's a typical program that happens. There's a worship band, and then there's a speaker. Next chapel, there's a worship band and a speaker. The next chapel, there's a worship band and a speaker. And again, you get into this flow. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about some of the things that I'm going to share with you, and I thought, you know what, we need to completely radically change things about what students expect of chapel. So I gave them a napple, which was, I gave them a three-minute introduction, and then I said, see these aisles, see these chairs, why don't you just lay out? We're going to dim the lights. This is during school. Lie down on the ground and take a nap. And I gave them 25 to 30 minutes of a nap for chapel. No talk, no sermon, no commandments, no more. This is what you need to be to be a better Christian. I said, this is a gift. Just sleep. After chapel, they said, best chapel ever. <laughs> they loved it. Absolutely Loved it. And of course, wouldn't you? Which is why I said, if you're feeling sleepy and groggy, it's, it's okay. We understand. I'm not going to call you out. Just close your eyes quietly. Your, your spouse or your loved one or your significant other, just leave them alone. That's what they're supposed to do during a sermon. It's okay. 
Now, why did I do that? There's some reading that I've been doing. I want to share some of that, some thinking. Um, this book, Nurture Shock, by Poe Bronson and Ashley Merriman. Actually, uh, Poe lives actually here in San Francisco, so I was getting in contact with him, wanting him to come down. They've written a book about the scientific research around the ways in which we think about what actually causes children to behave in certain ways. There's things like, is it okay to praise a child? And they're saying, you can praise a child, but you might ruin him if you do. Uh, So the scientific research and some of these studies have suggested if you praise their efforts rather than their intelligence, it makes a radical difference. They, They actually talk about race in this book. Well, one of the chapters in here is about the extra hour of sleep. They write, it's even possible that many of the hallmark characteristics of being a tweener and a teen, moodiness, depression, and even binge eating are actually just symptoms of chronic sleep deprivation. Fascinating. All the things that we used to, you know, point to those kids and say, what is wrong with you? You know, it's all those hormones. They're saying, and others have said, no, it's not hormones, actually. It's sleep deprivation, or that could be one of the causes. A tired brain, this is one of my favorite um, quotes, a tired brain perseverates. Isn't that a great word? It gets stuck on a wrong answer and can't come up with a more creative solution, repeatedly returning to the same answer it already knows is erroneous. Perseverates is a word that means you have an idea and you just keep going back to that same idea over and over and over again. And when you're tired, your brain can't get out of that flow. It just goes back and back, back, back and forth to that same erroneous idea. And so when it comes to study, when it comes to education, maybe exhaustion, tiredness is actually part of what's causing your brain to not function. How many of you have ever felt this exact? When your brain is tired, your brain just can't seem to get onto something else. The other thing that was fascinating, negative stimuli gets processed by the amygdala, positive or neural memories get processed by the hippocampus. Sleep deprivation hits the hippocampus harder than the amygdala. The result is Sleep-deprived people failed to recall pleasant memories, yet recall gloomy memories just fine. Does this sound familiar? So these are some of the things I've been thinking about, and I know for the students that I've been working with, this describes them very well. And they talk about getting three, four, maybe five hours of sleep a night because of all the homework and all the things that they do. And I'm just wondering, there's actually some studies, and we can talk about this later. Some uh, school districts in America have actually pushed the start time back an hour, and they've seen SAT scores rise just by that one change. So this has been fascinating to me. Okay, some additional thoughts. Jeff Illiff gave this TED Talk that I thought was also fascinating, and he says this, we found that sleep may actually be a kind of elegant design solution to some of the brain's most basic needs, a unique way that the brain meets the high demands and the narrow margins that set it apart from all the other organs in the body. Um, What he simply means by that is that the brain is starting to refresh itself during sleep in a way that the rest of the body doesn't. And he gives some of the scientific research and the studies behind that. So what this new research tells us then is that the one thing that all of you already knew about sleep, that it refreshes and clears the mind, may actually be a big part of what sleep is all about. Because when it comes to cleaning the brain, it is the very health and function of the mind and the body that's at stake. Which is why understanding these very basic housekeeping functions of the brain today may be critical for preventing and treating diseases of the mind tomorrow. It's fascinating. They're starting to look at the link between sleep deprivation and how the brain processes that waste material from all of that hard thinking and working that you're all doing, how the brain processes that to Alzheimer's and to other potential diseases. And so that's been a very fascinating look. So all of this stuff is 
been intriguing to me. And I like to think about the studies that are going on in this world, the behaviors of humanity, the sociology of it all, and the scriptural story. These two things are beautifully intertwined in my mind. I'd like to share some of my thoughts with you because if we take a look at the stories that we read, we often skip over details that are really critical and important. For example, in Genesis 2.21, Adam becomes, or I should say, you know, for those of you who have been with us, you know this already, but Adam, the human, becomes man and woman. It becomes Adam and Eve. The one is split into two. But the process through which that happens is a very specific key Hebrew word, which means a deep sleep. And this follows along with other stories. And I'm just pointing out a few. Genesis 15, 12. Abraham is given this covenant and this promise that he's going to be the father of many nations. And he says, but how is this going to be? I don't even have children, and I'm like 99 years old. Do you realize that 99-year-olds don't have kids, God? And God reveals to him that it's going to happen, but he reveals it to him in a deep sleep. Um, Jacob has a dream. He puts his head down. And he wrestles with God, and then he has this deep sleep where he sees the angels rising, ascending, and descending on this ladder. Jacob's ladder is the famous story. Jonah, if you remember in the story of Jonah, he's totally running away from God. Doesn't want to have anything to do with this calling upon his life, the prophetic calling that he's supposed to go to these really, really evil people, the Ninevites. Who who wants to see the Ninevites saved? Who, Who wants to see ISIS saved? ISIS. Who, who really wants that? So Jonah runs away. And then he goes down into the hull of the boat and falls asleep. And it's through that sleep that the sailors of the boat say, get up, call upon your God. How fascinating that Jonah, who is the prophet of God, has to be reminded by somebody else to call upon God while he's sleeping. So Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, if you remember the story, he's a righteous man and he finds out Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so he's, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> he's going to divorce her quietly. This is scandalous. Uh, a good, righteous, God-loving Jewish girl and a good, righteous, God-loving Jewish boy do not get pregnant before the wedding. So he's going to divorce. And what, is, what happens? He falls asleep And God reveals to him in a dream through an angel, no, no, take this child home. So again, sleep. And then Mark chapter 4, which we're going to get to, which I really love, Jesus falls asleep in the hull of the boat during a storm, which is like, wow, did Mary run the vacuum while you were a kid? You know, when a little, you know, gets you used to sleeping through noise like you do. Okay, let's go through this. There's three words in the Hebrew for sleep. First word is num. Everybody say num. The second word is yashen. Say yashen. And the third word is tardema. Say tardema. Sounds like tartar sauce, but tardema is the sleep, is, is, are those three words. Now, noom in the Hebrew scriptures means drowsy. Drowsy. You're not quite asleep, but you're drowsy. Um, this is something that we all know, and I hesitated to put this in here, but I thought we'd do a little PSA in the midst of this. If you're tired while you're driving, you have noom sleepiness. You should pull over and just go to sleep. The National uh, Sleep Foundation has done tons of studies. Of course, the number of deaths and injuries that happen because of people driving while drowsy. It's called drowsy driving. 
Um, and many people talk about how drowsy driving is just as bad, if not worse, than drunk driving. So just a little PSA for, uh, for you. And the reason why this is important is because I've experienced this myself, and I am needing to say this out loud to ensure that I, as a pastor, practice what I preach. So if I'm going to tell my congregation to not do this, I need to make sure that I'm not going to do this because I have a tendency to do this. This, uh, this radically uh, awakened me, um, pun intended, when Danielle and I were just dating years and years and years ago, she lived in Millbrae, I lived in San Jose, for those of you who are familiar with the Bay Area. It was like one in the morning, and it's like, okay, I really need to go home because I get up at five in the morning to cook breakfast for the school. So at one in the morning, I get in the car from Millbrae, and I start to drive down. I'm starting to get sleepy, i drowsy, so I, f- I say, you know what, this is too dangerous, so I pull my little Geo Metro off of the road, pull into a gas station, fall asleep, and I woke up about 3 o'clock later and said, okay, I think I've got enough refreshment. Get back on the road and begin to drive back to San Jose and finish my drive when I see this. For those of you who know Broadway, that's in Burlingame. And then I keep driving a little bit further and I see this <laughs> from Santa Clara. I had driven all the way past Milbrae back up north because of my drowsiness and my sleepiness. And it was one of, I was like, oh, this is bad. Because I was just driving. Have you ever had that experience where you're just tired? That's noom. That is the drowsy. Your brain is not functioning. You are drowsy. Now, the second word, yashen, literally means sleep or to be asleep. Now, my friend Daron in Israel, every time we see him, uh, likes to say this to me, and I'm going to teach it to you in the Hebrew because it's a lot of fun. Repeat after me. Kashe ata yoshen. There's that sleep word, yoshen, yashen. Kashe ata yoshen ata bachur tov, which translated means you're a good guy when you're sleeping. So he likes to say that. This is a, apparently a popular Israeli phrase, and so he likes to say that to me. I like to say that to him. The problem is he's our bus driver, so I try not to say that to him. <clears throat> you're a good guy uh, when you're sleeping. Now, um, that is what it means to be asleep. Now, somebody, uh, Thomas McAlpine, has done a study on sleep in the ancient world. And one of the types of sleep that's written about in ancient documents, um, encountered in Sumerian lamentations from writings, is the type of divine sleep in which the God intentionally leaves his people helpless. So when we sleep, we're refreshed, but there's the type of sleep in theological ideas and terms that when God sleeps, you and I suffer as a result. I I thought this was really cool because in Psalm 121, many of you know this passage. I lift my eyes up to the mountains or to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heavens and earth. Have you ever read the passage right after that that is relevant to this idea? He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you and will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So right in the midst of ancient Near Eastern Mesopotamian cultural ideas about when a God sleeps, we're in trouble, comes a psalm that declares, our God does not sleep. Our God does not slumber. Our God does not get drowsy. And I think that's a really beautiful picture and image about who this God is. Now, the last sleep is Tardema. Tardema is the deep sleep. This is the sleep that Uh, maybe we would call REM sleep, or you are just out, and, you know, if there's a storm that's happening, perhaps you are just completely knocked out. 
But in the Bible, this kind of sleep is brought about by divine communication or supernatural intervention. In, in other words, it is God who initiates the sleep. And so sleep becomes connected with some sort of communication that God is trying to do in the person or through the person or for the person that is sleeping. Let's take a look at these stories. Adam falls asleep. And then he wakes up and goes, whoa, man. So that's where we get the word woman from. <coughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, groaner foul. That was really bad. When God initiates that sleep for Adam, he wakes up and he realizes, listen, this is so key. The loneliness that was not good has now been remedied as Adam passes through this sleep. The loneliness that God looks and says, this is not good, is shifted and changed. And Adam's perspective on his world, how he sees his existence and his identity, has been radically transformed as he goes through this sleep. He wakes up and he has become two, and he has a companion. Uh, th the same story with Abraham. Abrahamic story where God says, you're going to be a father of many nations. Tardema comes upon Abraham. He falls into a deep sleep, and he sees the flaming torch and the smoking pot pass through the pieces. Read this story in Genesis chapter 15 and realizes that the promise that God is going to make is really truly going to come through through this renewed covenant and special relationship that God is forming with Abraham. And he sees and radically changes his perspective as he goes through that sleep. Sleep and this kind of sleep, this deep kind of sleep, is a medium or a way or a biblical illustration or symbol to show you that something radical is going to shift in how you see yourself, how you see your world, how you see your circumstances, what you think about your reality. Same thing with Jonah, as I mentioned before. He goes down into the hole during the storm. It's crazy. And the people, the sailors, come to him and say, wake up, why are you sleeping? And then the story of Joseph which is, again, that shift where, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go home and take Mary as my wife, but yet God, through his sleep, changes him, and he sees his reality different. Now, remember this quote, or remember the sharing that I was doing before? What I'd like to sh suggest for us tonight is that there, there's something actually really powerful and spiritual and meaningful regarding these instances of sleep in the biblical narrative given some of these quotes. So, earlier we talked about how sleep clears out the brain, makes your brain become refreshed. And I would like to suggest that if you pair the biblical story with some of this research that's going on, I would like to say, like sleep clears our brains, so sleep can clear out our spirit and our soul through the hope of a new day, the putting to rest of the past, the redemptive movement of God in our lives. These stories where God puts a deep sleep upon Adam, upon Abraham, comes upon Joseph, comes upon Jonah, and when they awake, a radical shift of their perspective changes, I would like to suggest that is true for us as well. And the reason why sleep exists or the teachings that these stories are illuminating for us is that sleep is actually a beautiful metaphorical picture for what you and I get to experience every single day for six to eight, nine, ten hours of every single day. 
once again a radical shift in our thinking, our circumstances, a resurrection of a new day, the putting behind of a new past. With Adam, it was loneliness. My loneliness is more than I can bear. He names all the animals, and he couldn't find any companion for himself. And sleep becomes that passageway through which God remedies that and says, you do not have to be lonely anymore. And I have awakened you to a whole new reality. Like sleep clears our brains of our past of really difficult, challenging thinking and the waste material that happens as a result of our brains working, I'm wondering if we could see our sleep also clearing out some of the gunk in our souls, in our spirits. The, the things that we have attributed, or excuse me, the things that we have accumulated along our spiritual or religious journeys, where we've heard a, a sermon, a pastor, a teacher, we've read a book, and somehow that gets in there, and, and then all of a sudden starts to cause our soul to not think clearly anymore. And I'm wondering if we could use this image and picture of sleep to say, let's clear that stuff out. Let's clear our soul and our spirit out. Be refreshed and renewed once again through sleep. Like a tired brain perseverates, goes over and over and over and over and over and over again, even though we know it's wrong. I'm wondering if our tired souls can also get stuck on the same ideas, the same concepts, the same teachings, the same religious ideas over and 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 over again. And I'm wondering if this might be one of the reasons why the world sometimes is tired of hearing us talk because we're saying the same thing over and 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 over again. And I'm wondering if we can use this image and picture of sleep of let's rest from that. Let's not get stuck on those things. Let's think and be refreshed once again about this story of Jesus, this creation narrative that we're all living into, this grand story that God has been writing throughout the scriptures and now also through us. Is it possible that we could rest from all of the gunk that is keeping us from experiencing that full story? Maybe sleep is that beautiful image and picture where we get to clear and clean out our souls and say, you know what, next morning when I wake up, there's a whole new way to think about my life spiritually. There's a whole new way of thinking about my walk with Jesus. And I, instead of accumulating more have-tos, like the moralism that I was talking about before, we clear out what we've picked up along the way. The number of times I've had conversations with myself as well as with others regarding spiritual journey, health in a marriage, relationships, I hear, but doesn't the Bible say this? Or I heard so-and-so say this, but I've been living like this my entire life. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's the problem. Maybe there's something that happens in our souls and our spirits that we keep attributing and holding on to the things that are actually gunking up our soul and our spirit. Now, I recognize that what I'm saying can be dangerous, we do need discernment and we need wisdom. But I love this picture of sleep and I would encourage us to think about that as well. That maybe instead of a progression in our spiritual journeys being accumulating more and more and more, maybe there's some things we need to actually just get rid of. Thinking that we need to set aside that has been clogging our souls and our spirits. I think this is illuminated by the fact 
that sleep in the New Testament is a metaphor, is a euphemism for death. Because ultimately, what is our physical death? It is the dispensing of, it's the getting rid of, it's the flushing out of all of this stuff that we have to live with every single day of our lives. The sin, the guilt, the dysfunction, all of that stuff that you and I live with every day. Death is that image in that picture. Sleep is that metaphor for saying we get rid of that and we get to rise into a whole new reality, a whole new way of seeing existence when we see Jesus clearly then. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 talks about those who have fallen asleep. This is the metaphor for death. So, again, these stories. Adam had to, through his sleep, get rid of, set aside his picture and image of loneliness. And through sleep, God was teaching, redeeming, making his existence and his identity brand new with a companion, a suitable helper just for him. Abraham had to put aside, set aside, that, God, I can't have children. This isn't going to happen to me. Don't you see that old people like me They don't have children. They don't have legacies. They can't pass this on. Sleep. Flush that out of your system, Abraham, and awaken to a whole new reality. Your wife really is going to have a child. Jonah. I don't want to go there. Who wants to save the Ninevites? Those are mean, nasty, evil people. Do you realize what they've done? Go to sleep. Flush that out of your system. Cleanse your heart and your soul, by the way, through the sailors, and call upon your God. And then, of course, Joseph. We're all going to go to sleep tonight, or hopefully most of us will. I hope we're not all pulling all-nighters. Sleep is a daily. When, you, when we go to sleep tonight, it'll be a, a metaphorical reminder. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever perspectives, ideas that are hindering you from stepping into the next direction, from growing, from experiencing the full life, from entering into this full, beautiful, narratival creation story that all of us get to experience because of this Christ, because of this God, because of these scriptures. When you go to sleep tonight, flush that out. Allow God to put you into a deep sleep and allow all of that to go into another world, to be awakened to renewal, and a revelation, like a whole new way of seeing your, your life, your identity, your place in this world. To be restored once again to the way God intended you to be. And to take all those things in the past and redeem them for something new and something purposeful. Like this quote, sleep-deprived people fail to recall pleasant memories, yet recall gloomy memories just fine. So when you sleep, you'll be able to recall and, and know and feel and sense the presence of the Lord. Now I lay me down to sleep. Does it go? And I love this phrase. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. The word keep in Hebrew, the word shamor, means to protect. To keep away from all of those things that may be hindering it. When you go to sleep tonight, pray this prayer. God, there may be some things that I have acquired along the way, some religious ideas, some some teachings from some sermons, some tapes that I've ingested, some books that I've read, some 
really, really bad advice from well-meaning Christian brothers and sisters. When I lay me down to sleep, I pray my soul, Lord, keep. Protect my soul from this. Flush it out, and may I be wakened to be renewed. It's going to be okay. Now, I'm a little bit out of time, but there's something really cool I want to show you. What about Jesus? Because Jesus sleeps in this boat. Remember, the gods would sleep. And when the gods slept, that usually meant an absence. And this is found through the Isaiah story. For those of you who know, that this is Mount Carmel, by the way, where that story happens. And there's a statue of Elijah, you know, slaughtering a bull and the, the prophets there. And in this story in 1 Kings chapter 8, Elijah says, you know, your God that you are calling on, maybe he's going to the bathroom, but maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So we know that ancient gods in the mythological ideas of people in the ancient world thought that the gods slept. And we have a document called the Atrahasis epic, dating to the 17th century BCE. So you can look this up. It's all online. Check it out. And there's this phraseology that happens. Uh, It's this great story about the creation and about how man is just too burdensome to the gods. And so they try to create this thing to get man off of their backs, essentially. You and I are a burden to these gods. And in the midst of this, here's what the burden is. The God says, the noise of mankind has become too much. I am losing sleep over their racket. Give order that Surupu disease shall break out. And that disease is a flood that comes. And so according to this Atrahasis epic in ancient Mesopotamia, when the gods awake, the storm is going to come. When the gods awake, it's because you have been way too rowdy, way too noisy, and I'm sick and tired of you, so I'm going to bring a flood to cover you and destroy you and try to start all over. Why? Because I, as the god, am really ticked off that you woke me up right now. The disciples head out onto the boat, and Jesus falls asleep. Now, I recognize that we're going to have to have some conversations. Spark is always a place where conversations are sparked. Yes, Jesus is God and he sleeps. And Psalm 121 says God doesn't sleep or slumber, so you guys figure that out. But anyway, Jesus, as a man, sleeps, entering into a whole new idea of rest and thinking differently about the reality. And what's the reality? These disciples are like, we're dead meat. We're out on the sea with a storm. And the gods, which are the Baal gods, the storm gods, are going to really kill us and sink us into the abyss. They are going to get rid of us. And Jesus is awakened. Lord, help us. And what does Jesus do when he wakes up? He doesn't bring a storm. He calms the storm. And in the ancient world, I think this is a beautiful picture of how what these stories are trying to do is completely, once again, revolutionize your thinking about who these gods are. These gods, these ancient gods, you wake them up, you're dead meat. They're going to send a storm. You wake up this god, and he's there to protect you. He calms the storm. Remember this quote? Sleep, they want to have nothing to do with you. In mythology, these gods, when they wake, they create storms. But in the Gospels, when Jesus wakes up, he calms the storm. Peace, be still.
And what happens with the disciples is a completely radical transformation. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They fall down and they worship him. He's no longer just Jesus. He's something much bigger than that. And they experience something radically new. We can handle this storm. There's a calm and a peace and a rest here. Through Jesus' sleep, the disciples experienced a whole new revelation, a whole new way of thinking about their reality, a whole new way of thinking about their perspective, a whole new way of thinking about who Jesus was, and a whole new way of thinking about their identity. So tonight, so tonight, when you have your goodnight kisses, it is my prayer and my hope that whatever you're perseverating on, whatever you're going over and over and over and over and over and over again, which could be dysfunction, could be pain, could be hurt, could be guilt, could be really bad patterns of behavior that you find yourself in at work, in your relationships. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul, the Lord, would keep, protect. As you head into deep sleep, that is sent by the Lord. May your, may your heart, may your soul, may your spirit be flushed out and rejuvenated, reawakened to a whole new, different reality and a new way of seeing yourself and a new way of seeing your world, one that is filled with hope and love and redemption, whole new radical experience of seeing who Jesus is, who you are in light of who he is and that you will find a whole new rest. Lord, I thank you for this time. <clears throat> I thank you for all my brothers and my sisters. Thank you for this church. Uh, Lord, thank you so much um, for this place. And God, thank you that every single day of our lives, you remind us through the metaphor of sleep that the old can go away and that the new can come. So Lord, I pray that as we go to sleep tonight, you would set upon us a deep sleep in which you would work and move in and through our heart and our soul and our spirit to flush out that which is toxic, difficult, challenging, dysfunctional. And that you would awaken us to a whole new reality of how we see ourselves, our world, and each other. Do this, God, by the power of your Spirit, through the beautiful image and picture of making even sleep such a beautiful spiritual exercise. And may we embrace tonight fully and completely in that deep sleep that you have for every single one of us. And I pray in your name. Amen.